We hear these readings every three years, so you've heard that first reading before of Abraham talking to God about the number of people that are necessary for him to save Sodom and Gomorrah. Now think to yourself, when you remember this reading, when you hear this reading, was Abraham trying to change God's mind? Just keep that in mind while we go through this. There are a couple very important attributes of God. When we talk about who is God, because we have to know who it is we are worshiping, who is God, what are his attributes and characteristics, one of the attributes and characteristics that defines the God that we worship is that he is perfect. Now, perfect means you have everything necessary to be yourself and do what you do. So God, being perfect, for example, doesn't need us. By creating us, by creating the universe, it added nothing to himself, nothing to his perfection. Perfect also means that you cannot change. Because a change indicates that you had something that you no longer have, or that you didn't have something that you now have. So if one of the important attributes of God is that he is perfect, and that means that he cannot change, what does it mean to do intercessory prayer? Why would we even ask God for something? Because from a human perspective, it feels like and sounds like we're asking God to change his mind. Oh Lord, somehow you have no idea what I need, so I'm going to bring it to your attention so that you can change your mind and give me what I want. Oh Lord, you haven't been paying attention to me, so here's this thing that I want you to do. Oh Lord, you are wrong. I know what I need. Here's what I need. Why don't you change your opinion? That's not how you pray to a perfect God. Pair this, though, with another important aspect, attribute of God. The New Testament, and this is new in the New Testament. We don't hear this in the Old Testament. The New Testament tells us that God is love. And Jesus pairs that today by giving us, again, something new, the idea that God is Father. God is love and God is Father. So even though God is perfect, even though we can't change his mind, and again, why would we want to? Because he is perfect and we are not, so any change we would cause in him would be to take him from perfection to imperfection. Just because God is perfect doesn't mean that he doesn't care, doesn't mean that he doesn't love. Even though we can't necessarily go and change his mind, why would we want to? He is already the infinitely loving, perfect Father. He is already taking care of us at every moment of our lives. He is already doing everything that he possibly can for our good, actively working for our salvation, actively ensuring that we have the peace of Christ in our hearts. When we pray to God, we are praying to someone who is like our own fathers, but without any of the imperfections of our own fathers. Somebody who knows us and loves us and cares about us and works for our good. That's the God we're praying to. So, again, why would we want to change his mind? If he's already doing everything possible and everything perfect, why would we want to somehow cause him to be different? 
So, back to the Genesis reading. What's Abraham doing? What's really interesting about that one, and there are instances in the Old Testament where it looks like a prophet is changing God's mind. We have that with Moses, for example. And that's just a a result of the way the Old Testament was written and their view of God. Um, We can go into that in a deeper way in a different homily. But in this reading specifically, the one that the church chooses to pair with our gospel, in this reading specifically, God simply says he's going to investigate Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't say what he's going to do. Abraham isn't pushing back against God's declaration. I'm going to wipe everybody out of the city. And Abraham's like, well, but what if there are 50 people? Would you wipe them out? And he's not changing God's mind. He's actually trying to discover what God is going to do. God hasn't said what he's going to do. God says he's going to go investigate. And Abraham's like, well, Lord, what does that mean? What will you do? And so he begins with a big question. He's like, okay, would you spare the city if there are 50 innocent people? God says, yes, I will. And then Abraham continues to go down the list of numbers because he doesn't yet understand the will of God. Once we reach ten people, there seems to be some sort of definitive statement. Maybe there was body language exchange. I think it says that the Lord himself or Abraham walked away. They just knew that that was the end. But Abraham goes through this process of trying to discover what is the will of God? What will he do here? How much mercy is there? in the God that I worship. For us as Christians, when we ask what is the purpose of prayer then, if we can't change God, that first reading gives us the answer. The purpose of prayer is to discover and unite ourselves to the will of God. There are a lot of different ways that we could talk about prayer. We hear prayer is a conversation with the Lord. Prayer is time spent with the Lord. Prayer is the presence of God. All of this is true, but if we had a purpose to it, the purpose, the goal of all of those conversations and all of that presence and all of that time, the goal of prayer is to unite ourselves to the will of God. Because remember what I just said, God is an infinitely perfect loving Father. The only will we should care about is His will. Because his will is the perfect will. Whatever we want is nothing compared to what he wants. Because what he wants is for our good. What he wants is our greatest good. A good that oftentimes we cannot imagine. A good that we can't even comprehend. It's so much beyond our imagination. And so when we pray, when we spend time with the Lord, we're asking, Lord, what do you desire for me, for my family, for my parish? For my world, what are you asking of me as your beloved son or daughter? What do you want? Because his will is the thing that will save us. Uniting ourselves to his will is uniting ourselves to our own salvation and the salvation of the world. So prayer is that conversation like Abraham had with God. Lord, is this what you want? We often bring him very specific things. That's a lot of times what intercessory prayer is. I know most of us here are united by a prayer for people in our families that we love who don't have a connection with God or the church. Let's use that as an example. We bring that to him. We say, Lord, what is your will? What is your will for my son or my daughter or my sister or my brother? Well, the first thing we remember is that God's will is to be an infinitely perfect, loving father. 
that he is their father the same as he is our father, that he loves them with the same depth of love that he loves us. And then, as we continue to pray about the ones that we love, as we continue to bring them to the Lord and ask what his will is for them, after we remember his will is to love them deeply and completely as a father, then he might reveal to us a more specific will. He might tell us something about our relationship with that person, what our role is in his will for that person. Obviously, he wants their salvation, and as Catholics, we believe their salvation is through the church. But how does that come about? Sometimes the Lord might say, it's not your job. Your job is to love them where they're at. Your job is to be present to them as best as you can. But it's not your job to say anything or to push. He might tell us that. That might be his will for us and them. Or he might say that it is your job to say something. You've never revealed, for example, why you love God and not just obey him. Or maybe you've never said how much you love that person. Maybe we have to increase the depth of our relationship with that person before any conversation of faith could come up. Maybe the Lord will reveal to us that he wishes to work through a different person. To bring them to faith through a conversation that's not from us. In all cases, as we intercede for that person and pray for that person, what changes isn't God. He's already loving them perfectly and completely. What changes is us. We change in the light and the presence of God. We change because He is pouring over us and forming us to be more like Him. We change because, as St. Luke says, the greatest gift He can give us is the Holy Spirit. We change because we make space for the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us. And having the Holy Spirit, then we act with the will of God and no longer our will. That time spent with the Lord is so important because our unity with His will is so important. To live our lives apart from His will, not remembering that He's a loving Father, not remembering that He's a loving Father for all people, It's a sad life, it's a hard life. But the more we pray, the more we will be like God in everything we do. I struggle with this gospel because Jesus makes some very clear and definitive statements. Ask, and I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. I minister a lot to people who are mad at God. It's not a sin to be mad at God. I tell them, always bring that anger to the Lord. He wants whatever's on your heart, even if it's angry. But they're mad at God because they prayed for something and it wasn't given to them. And that's a hard place to be because of what Jesus says. It sounds like if we ask for it, we're going to get it. Like, it's pretty plain in the text. Well, if we pray for something, a few things are going to happen. If we pray for something that is not for our good then the Lord will change our heart to help us realize that. We might say, you know what, Lord, I have a neighbor who just bought a boat, and I really want a boat, and I just want you to give me that boat. Like, make it so I can have that boat. And the Lord might say, that boat is not going to be good for you. It's not going to help you be the person I want you to be. And so he might change that desire in our heart, and we might pray for the boat until we realize, I don't want to pray for that anymore. Because it's not according with the will of God as I'm praying about it. It's just not happening. Or he might tell us to wait. He might say, okay, yeah, you're going to get a boat, but it's going to be after your kid's a little more grown. I need you to center on your kids for now. 
right? He might keep that desire but put it on hold. Or he may very well fulfill that desire. He may very well say, yeah, that's going to happen and this is how it's going to happen. Or he might say, I'm going to take care of that. We even have instances where we say intercessory prayer looks like it has changed the mind of God. We hear about miracles, for example, from the prayers of the saints. Or we hear about miracles from our own prayers, miraculous healings, for example. And we might say, well, Father, you're telling us that God can't change, and the point of prayer isn't to change the mind of God, but it looks like it has in these instances. What's that about? It seems from everything we know about God, he delights to work through secondary causes. He delights to use the angels rather than to act himself. He delights to serve us, maybe not by giving us uh, an auditory message, not by speaking directly to us, but by speaking to us through another person, by inspiring that person to say something to us. He loves co-workers. He loves to work with his creation and to allow his creation to participate in himself. And so a lot of times he wants to pour graces on us, but he wants us to want those graces. He wants to draw us into himself before he unleashes those graces. He wants us to be co-workers with him. He wanted Abraham to know how merciful a God he was, but he needed Abraham to be the one to ask, Abraham to enter into that conversation. Again, God is a father, and if you think about your own fathers, when dad was super directive, I'm going to sit you down and I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, sometimes that's helpful, most of the time it's not. God wants us to be in conversation. He wants us to ask and to hear and to listen and to receive. That co-working with God is good for our humanity. It allows us to know him on a much deeper level. And so intercessory prayer does work not because God doesn't love us, not because God is ignoring us, but because God wants to work with us. He wants us to discover his will and to ardently desire his will in prayer. And then once we've discovered that desire, to see it fulfilled in the world. What a beautiful thing the Lord does for us. Finally, we might ask, what role does the Our Father play in all of this? This is Luke's version of the Our Father. A little simplified from Matthew's version, a little different than what we use in Mass, but essentially the same prayer. Almost every line of the Our Father is a petition, and we've lost the subjunctive in English. We don't hear it as we used to, but even hallowed be thy name, that be isn't just archaic English. That's, that's a subjunctive. That's a desire. We are asking the Lord that his name should be hallowed. It's a, it's a petition. And so from the first to the last, the Our Father reminds us of the will of God. If the purpose of prayer is to unite ourselves to the will of God and to form ourselves according to that will, every time we pray the Our Father, we remind ourselves of the will of God. So what is the will of God? It is that we should know Him as a Father, as a loving Father who knows us and loves us and works for our good. It is that His name should be hallowed, be respected, be loved all over the world, that we should love His name in our own lives. It's that His kingdom should come. Where does that kingdom begin except in changing our own lives and doing our own pursuit of the Lord? It's that we should receive our daily bread. In Greek, this is a very fancy word that only exists in the two versions of the Our Father. It's hyperousion, in Latin, super substantialum. In English, it would kind of mean um, super bread, like bread that is beyond what is normal, bread that is beyond creation. 
It's a clear allusion to the sacraments. God wishes that we should be blessed by the sacraments. Forgiving our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us, God desires that we should be a community of forgiveness, a community that lays down our burdens and lays down our grudges. And of course, that we should not be subject to the final test, that we should not be led into temptation. It is God's desire that we should live a life apart from sin, that we should live a life where we don't give in to the temptations of this world, but we resist them and pray that we would be protected from them. Every time we pray the Our Father, and we pray it at every Mass, it's the prayer that Jesus taught us. It's the first and most important prayer. Every time we pray the Our Father, we are asking the Lord that His will be done, in all of the petitions, that His will be done. We tell the Lord, we know what Your will is because Your Son taught us, and we ardently desire Your will. We form ourselves according to His will, so that in everything that we do, we are people of prayer. People who desire the will of God in our own lives and to carry it out in the world.